All right, Matt. So I have to admit that several years ago, I was addicted to soap. But uh, to soap, yeah, to soap. It's okay though, because I'm clean now. <laughs> Why didn't I see that coming? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Well... I guess I'm doing okay. It's been kind of a good kind of a crazy week up here. Right. You know. Right. We're rushing rushing to get into the graveyard, you know. But it's it's great because once I'm here and we flip on the cameras and we hit the record button, I'm kinda of like Ah Yeah. Yeah. At peace. Yeah. It, it's no, a, nobody can bother me. Right. <laughs> it it usually is a lot of uh stress and stuff getting ready. For the show, but then once, like you said, once you get in here, then it's like, okay, we're good. Stress has gone away now. Now we just do our thing. That's right. So, uh, real quick, we want to tell everybody to go check out Podbelly. Go to podbelly.com. We're proud members of the Podbelly Network, and you can find out how to record your own podcast or find other podcasts that you might want to listen to. Um, We want to say thank you to tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh. We'll talk about them more here in a little bit. Um, Next week, we are dark um, because it will be Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Um, So if we don't talk to you guys before then, happy Thanksgiving to all our uh, United States listeners. Um, We're going to be getting fatter. and That's just what we need is um, a (laughs) holiday revolving around eating during yeah. uh, a year that we've had uh, a, a lockdown where all I've done is what? eat. We so. can't get no fatter, or at least I can't. Yeah. yeah. Qu- quarantine has not been friendly to my waistline. No, mine either, man. I, I got my corn weight going, so. But but on the plus side, I, I have tried so many new cookies that I had been wanting to try. <laughs> 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 and just like, no, no, no. No. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, <laughs> man, I tell you, yeah, I've I've gained weight, and I, I call it my quarantines because I've gained at least the, <laughs> in the teens of pounds here. Uh, so before we get into tonight's episode, I uh, want to ask everybody to go give us a rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. iTunes helps out the most for some reason. Their algorithm is such that uh, it helps if you. Rate us and then write something out. Doesn't matter what you write, just type something, and that that helps boost us up in the ratings so that people will find us and we can bring more people to the graveyard. So go do that when you get a chance if you have not yet. And thank you to all of those who have given us a review on iTunes. It means a lot to us. Is there anybody here with us tonight?
Can you make a noise to let us know that you're here? Can't sleep? You came to the right place. Cozy in because we have an eerie night ahead of us. I'm Sydney. And I'm JC. The reason we decided to make this podcast is because we both have a love for the paranormal. Uh, and we really want to expand our reach and share our knowledge and help others understand that they are not alone in the paranormal field. So it is important for you to know that we are both experienced paranormal investigators. And while I wouldn't necessarily call ourselves professionals, we do approach everything from a paranormal investigator perspective. So while we may not be experts in all realms of the paranormal field, we are open to them. And that's what we are here to explore. So you can expect to hear from us everything from witchcraft to voodoo, paranormal tips and tools, real life evidence and experiences and everything in between. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash notafraidparanormalpodcast and listen in on your favorite streaming services. And we are not afraid. So Matt, why don't you tell us? What are we talking about tonight, brother? So tonight, we're, we're going to touch on a topic that uh, initially, when we, when we hit this, we, we, we didn't think it was going to be this way, but turns out it was. Um, we, we started digging into a topic and we thought... This is a lot like another topic that we've covered. <laughs> so we had to do a little bit of an extra deep dive to get some good info for you guys tonight. We called and, an audible, I, as they say. We did, but I think I think it's worked out very well. Um, you, you'll remember last year we covered Hellhounds. Episode 74. Episode 74. So um, we kind of had this idea about covering just dog omens in general you know the 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 legends of black dogs and and just mythological dogs and and omens that surround these particular animals and it and it's not just animals in general we're talking specifically about superstitions and legends and omens related to dogs right and believe it or not there are plenty of them out there that that date way back. And so Adam and I have have dug pretty deep and found some some pretty interesting stories. I think so, yeah. So we're we're going to get into some of the history of these uh of these of these legends and these omens. Uh, and then we're going to share uh quite a few with you tonight. So, like Matt said, we're going to kind of be revis- revisiting the legend of the large black dogs and, and dog omens. And last time we touched on it, all we really talked about was hellhounds. And, right. uh, you know, we, we thought there's got to be more to it. And it, we've had dogs and dog omens and stuff come up in several other episodes that we've done. Um, we just did the Beast of Bray Road last episode and that was a a canid thing so we thought you know let's look into this and let's try to kind of tie it all together and i i think that's what this will do is it 
I think it's going to tie some of it together, and then it may open up other avenues where Matt and I have to do a whole nother episode on something totally different uh, that relates to this. But we'll see what happens. Um, but first, like Matt was saying, we need to take a look at uh, the legends and omens surrounding dogs from a whole bunch of different cultures. And go down to the bottom of our show notes, and you can find the links to our sources, and you can follow along with us there, and you can find some of the stuff that we left out because this is extensive, and we just did not have time to cover all of it in this episode. But check out the show notes, find our sources, and go from there. All right, so let's first look at dogs in Egypt. And this says, Egyptologist Margaret Bunsen notes that dogs, quote, were probably domesticated in Egypt in the pre-dynastic eras, and they served as hunters and companions for the Egyptians, and some mention their hounds in their mortuary text. Um, you know, we think about cats being in Egypt. Well, they 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 love their dogs just as much. Um, an early tomb painting dated to... 3,500 BCE shows a man walking his dog on a leash in a scene recognizable to anyone in the modern day. So they, they held their dogs in high regard even that far back. And they had a lot of jackal gods, and I'm sure you'll remember that. Um, the Egyptian jackal gods represented with jackal heads on human bodies or entirely as animals are distinctively Egyptian deities. They served essential functions in the Egyptians' understanding of what happened after death and acted as guides and protectors in the complex process of reaching the afterlife. And toward the end of my notes, we'll touch on this again, but had to talk about it now, too. Um, This says, we do not know exactly when and why ancient Egyptians began associating jackals and other canines with funerary gods, but the association began at some point in prehistory, perhaps from observations of these animals scavenging habits. So, yeah, you know, maybe the fact that jackals scavenge dead bodies, they thought, you know, it tied into the afterlife in some way. Um, it says already in pre-dynastic periods, 5200 to 3100 BC, jackals had become identifiable symbols of the gods of specific districts, and they appear in some of the earliest written documents to survive from Egypt, which are around 3100 B.C. They are among the earliest funerary gods in Egypt and remain prominent symbols in Egyptian religion for more than 3,000 years. So that's true. I mean, anything you see, Egyptian, you know, the hieroglyphs or whatever, at some point you're going to see Anubis the jackal-headed god. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very common. And, you know, when we, when we, at least when I think about, you know, those ancient, if somebody said, hey, draw me a hieroglyph, I guarantee you I'm going to include, you know, that image of, of Anubis with the dog head. Right. So, I mean, it, it was, it was a big part of culture then. You know, in that case, for religious reasons. Right, exactly. So let's look at ancient Sumeria, Um, because it it goes back even to ancient Sumeria. And this says, first known as Baal or Gula, emerged as a Sumerian deity of the dog and of, quote, increase and plenty and of vegetation and of human generation. 
So it, it meant a lot, but it was a dog deity. Um, this says it's not clear at what point Baal became a goddess of healing, but from 2000 BCE onward, Baal and Gula were conflated. Um, as one of Baal's symbols was the dog, and Gula's name was interpreted as, quote, great in healing, the dog became a symbol of medicine in the Mesopotamian pantheon. This was supported by observational evidence and suggests Baal may have been healing before Gula came along, um, as legend noted how a dog's wound seemed to heal faster after the dog licked it. We've all heard that, right? That Yeah. You know, dogs lick their wounds to, to heal them quicker. Or lick a human's wound. Exactly. You know. Exactly. I think it's just because it tastes like blood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, they just like the taste of it, but... You know, I'm gonna heal my human. Yeah. Uh, no, he's bleeding. I want to lick it. Right. It it tastes good. It's <laughs> like a lollipop. Um. But all the way back to ancient Samaria, they believe that um, a dog's saliva licking your wound could heal it quicker. Now, yeah, you goes, ever heard that? Ever, you hear that thing about like a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth? Yeah, I hear it all the time. I I know I know where my dog's mouth has been. Right. You know, right. or at least I have a really good idea. Yeah. It's not cleaner than my mouth. No. And, <laughs> you know, I think it has, I think part of that is the legend of, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is. Since 3000 or 2000 BCE, they believe that it's healing. So it's got to be cleaner than ours. Right. But I think there's also something in there that they've got different bacteria in their That's mouth, it. which yeah. can kill off. You know, it keeps them from getting as sick. Like right. if we ate a turd, we'd get sick. They eat a turd and they're fine pretty That's much. Right. So I know this because I've got hounds and they eat turds. So I, I understand. Oh, um, yeah, God. And, but, and we've got, of course, we've got cats. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Cat, cat turds are like a delicacy in the dog world. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But I think, you know, with the, the increase of certain bacteria in their mouth, it keeps them from getting as sick. So that's probably adding to that uh, myth of a dog's mouth being cleaner. Now, this goes on to say that Gula often appeared not only with her dogs, but also carrying a sickle-shaped tool, a scalpel that was used for surgery. So medical knowledge was considered a gift given through Gula, and it was believed that physicians visited her temple to train before practicing medicine. There they worked with the fellow physicians and the dogs who participated in healing rituals. So back then they, they had dogs involved in their medical practices. It wasn't just a, you know, our, our dog, our, our God that's related to the canines yeah. was that. But they actually brought in the dogs because they believed they helped in healing. Dr. Rover, come on in here. Lick exactly. This exactly. Dr. Spot. <laughs> Dr. Spot. Yeah. What? Uh, he did that. What? No, that's Spock. Never mind. <laughs> For those of you not watching the video, I did the Spock hand sign. I forgot that some of y'all aren't watching the video. That's not as funny when it just goes, yeah, like this. And then it's dead yeah. air. You know? <laughs> Stupid. Oh, okay. We'll keep going. Now, in ancient Greece, this says that the Greeks had many different mythical dogs and legends about them. Dogs were often depicted as important companions to some of ancient Greece's most famous characters. 
Now, here's something you may have heard, Matt. You've heard the term dog days of summer. Oh, yeah. Okay. It isn't really what you think it is. It doesn't mean, like some people say, that it's so hot that it makes you pant like a dog, you know, or that you got to go like a dog and crawl under the tractor to get away from the heat or anything. But it actually refers back to an ancient Greek myth about Sirius, the dog star. Now, the dog days are directly associated with the star Sirius. In ancient Egypt, the rising of the star coincided with the annual flooding of the Nile, while the ancient Greeks associated its appearance with the hottest time of the year. So Sirius became known as the Dog Star, a name that can be attributed in part to Homer's Iliad, in which the poet mentions the relationship between Sirius and his owner, Orion, um, a famous hunter in the Greek mythos. Such a loyal companion was Sirius that when Orion died and was given his place in the heavens, Sirius was awarded a place by his side. Over the centuries, though, Sirius has appeared later and later in the year, meaning that his bright arrival in the night sky doesn't always line up with the hottest days of the summer anymore. But we still say it's the dog days of summer when it's the hottest part of the summer. And yeah. that's that's actually where that myth or that saying comes from is is the the Sirius and uh, Orion myths. I thought that was interesting. It's very interesting, and I've never heard that before. So, yep. I'm, I'm learning something new. See, there you go. That's what we're for, Matt, even teaching ourselves something new. Now, we talked about Cerberus in our Hellhounds episode, uh, like we said, episode 74. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, go check it out. Uh, he's the three-headed dog Cerberus. Um and it's this monstrous hound that guards the gates of the underworld. Um, so that's another one of the Greek myths surrounding dogs. Now, Native Americans also had dog symbolism. And many Native American tribes had dog companions that acted as a guide or a guard who barked out warnings. So still kind of what a lot of people use them as today. Well, some of its symbolism intertwines with Coyote as the inventor of fire, a spirit that brings uh, that brings and intermediary between the great spirit and humankind that is friendly and loyal. So the dog is seen as a mediary between the gods and the the humans there in the Native American culture. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, you've seen those pictures on the internet of people like, "Hey, I, fa I found a lost dog. If he's yours, you know he's not he's not too friendly, and it's it's a coyote." <laughs> yep, I've seen that. Got him laying in the back seat of the yeah. car with yeah. some dog food. <laughs> he's very snappy. Yeah, I found this stray dog uh, eating on a chicken, and I felt bad for it. <laughs> this says there is a story told by the American Indians that the Great Spirit decided to divide the worlds of animal and man. So he gathered all the living beings on a great plain and drew a line in the dirt. On one side of the line stood man. On the other side stood all of the animals. And that line began to open up into a great crevasse. And at the last moment, before it became unreachable, dog leapt over and stood by man. So even in, you know, the earliest days, I mean, man's best friend. The dog right. chose to live with man rather than the other animals. So this shows the 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 kind of reverence that they had for the canines that were not coyote because coyote was the trickster trickster spirit. But yeah. 
you know, the the dog itself was a, a bridge between them and the Great Spirit and and a protector for man, which yeah. I like that because I'm I'm a dog person, so I, I really like that legend. Oh, we're dog people too, and 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 dogs are man's best friend unless they're my dogs, and then they're <laughs> Amanda's best friend. <laughs> right, right. You know, I I will do in a pinch, but if Amanda is anywhere near, the dogs are attached to her. They they want to know where she is at all times. Mm-hmm. If she goes outside, the dogs want to go outside. If she comes inside, the dogs want to come inside. If she's on the couch, the dogs want to be on the couch. It's like never ending. If she is not home, then then I, it's I'm like the vice president. Yeah, right. Okay, okay, okay. You know, you'll do. Right. You have two. You have two hands for belly scratches, and that'll suffice. And you can feed me. <laughs> now, well, you know that's that old saying: dogs. A man does best friend. So. <laughs> I came up with that while you were talking. I'm like, I love it. Stop talking so I can tell this joke. (laughs) Yeah, shut up. Yeah, I knew I'd forget. I've got got a funny. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) All right. So let's go to ancient Europe. Um, And as we've talked in our previous episode, there are a ton of of sinister dogs in ancient England and oh, Scotland, yeah. you know, like the, the Grimm and, and others that, uh, Matt will talk about more here in a little bit, but there, there, there's a lot of them. Um, but there's legends about other dogs. And so let's look at some of the nicer, nicer dog legends. And Matt, I found these fascinating and I thought you would too. Oh yeah. Now in Wales, the, the, Pembroke Welsh corgis were once believed to have originated with the fairy folk. According to legend, a Welsh farmer's children found two corgi puppies in a hollow. They were tailless with short legs, foxy faces, and gleaming golden coats with peculiar markings. Now, upon bringing them home, the children's father recognized them at once for exactly what they were. Now, in the 1997 book, The Mythology of Dogs, Gerald and Loretta Houseman report that the farmer declared, quote, surely these are the gifts of the fairy folk. Now, he went on to explain to his children that corgis, also known as fairy healers, H-E-E-L-E-R-S, not like heal, healing you, but to heal. Um, So fairy healers were kept by the fairies in the manner uh, of livestock and that the fairies, quote, made them work the fairy cattle made them pull the fairy coaches, made them steeds for fairy riders, made them fairy children's playmates, kept them hidden in the mountains, kept them shadowed in the lee, lest the eye of mortal man see. So, hmm. very cool. Corgis were thought to be, um, the, I guess, the fairy dogs. You know, they the, the, fae, the fae kept them. And... You know, since we did the Fay episode, I'm fascinated with all the different Fay lore. Right. So, and I'm surprised we didn't come across this. Yeah, we, I am this too. is really this is really the first time I've heard anything like that. But you know, if you know if you know anything about, you know, Welsh corgis, you know, and 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 how they're how they're built and how they're shaped and their personality, you can see it. Mm-hmm. You, you can see it. I mean, they're they're cute little active dogs, short little legs. You know, perfect size for a fairy to jump on and ride to town. Yep. 
You know, and they, they I can picture that, it in my head, pulling a little ferry wagon. Right, and they say that the markings on the, the corgi's back is actually from the, the ferry saddles. That if you look at it, it's kind of got that saddle thing going on on the back. Yeah. So they say that's remnants of the saddles that the fay would put on them. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really shocked that we didn't find this um, when doing our fay episode. But like you said in the beginning, Matt, this was... This was a deep dive on a deep dive. That's right. <laughs> this was, we took, you know, the notes that Jeff helped us out with, and then we had to basically, like, use those as just a springboard to dive further into this rabbit hole that we're in. So, yeah, exactly. Now, in 2000, uh, in her 2004 Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore, Patricia Monahagan reports that in Scotland, dogs were believed to have the ability to, quote, see ghosts of the dead, witches, and other persons only visible to people with second sight. So we still kind of believe that today that dogs can see ghosts. Right. And, you know, I've had a personal experience in this where I owned a beagle that on Halloween night. Halloween Halloween night (laughs) (laughs) actually stopped at our kitchen door and was staring at something and, and even, even growled a little bit and whimpered Mm -hmm. and wouldn't cross the threshold into the kitchen. Right. So I've always felt like something was in there that he could sense and I couldn't see. And he would not cross that threshold. And then just all of a sudden, after maybe 30 seconds or so, he just kind of snapped out of it and he, and he ran into the kitchen and he sniffed all around a certain area. So that that's convinced me that he saw something. Oh yeah. You know, and, and, and something that I couldn't see or perceive myself. Yep. Well, I think I've told you about Dallas when I lived in Tennessee and uh, we had Frank the ghost that used to cross the hall all the time. He'd walk up and down uh-huh. the hall. Yep. Um, Dallas, I would know when he was in the hallway because Dallas would stop and like turn his head and look down the hallway. Yeah. And yeah. there was one night that uh, he Dallas was doing that, and I'm like, oh, Frank's here. And then the uh, hallway door goes and shuts. And I'm like, okay, yep, I get it. <laughs> Just letting you know he's still around. Yep. So this goes on to say that, quote, in addition, when they howled at the moon or growled at nothing in particular, it was believed that they were altering their human keepers to the alerting their human keepers to the presence (laughs) of supernatural or fairy powers. Nice recovery. Thank you. (laughs) I I did it as quickly as I could. Uh, But yeah, so that was, you know, dogs howl at the moon, whatever. It's they're alerting us to um something in the area or fairy folk or the use of magic in the area um this goes on to say that certain breeds of dogs or dogs with uh particular markings were thought to be especially gifted for instance the 2003 Encyclopedia of Superstitious Folklore and the Occult Sciences states that quote a dog with two yellow or round white spots above its eyes can see spirits and drive away evil ones. So I guess, you know, depending, I didn't go into what all the markings meant because I thought that would take 
probably the rest of the evening if I covered all that. But, you know, there are uh, different markings mean different things. And I just thought that was interesting. The with two yellow spots or round white spots above the eyes. So if you've got a dog like that, then they will help you drive away evil spirits. Now, everybody get up and go check your dog. Yep, go check your dog and run down to the shelter and adopt a dog that has two yellow spots or white spots above the eyes. Yeah, go down there and say, hey, have you have you got any dogs with yellow or white spots above its eyes? And yep. they're going to look at you like, maybe <laughs> well and that's just when you say look i need a ghost killing dog all I, right i need a dog to get rid of some evil spirit <laughs> so in celtic countries uh it was believed that they could heal their human companions simply by being near them this belief lingered in the 18th and 19th centuries and was particularly associated with pug dogs according to gerald and loretta houseman quote Pugs were also most useful in the healing arts, skilled at pulling out fevers, relieving headaches, and drawing off serious maladies, attracting the sickness unto themselves. So apparently uh, pugs were great healers, and and even here recently into the 19th century were thought to be the same. That's good, because they can can be a bit annoying sometimes. I was going to say, I just thought pugs were (laughs) neurotic, but you know. That's just me. They're cute. They're yep. cute. But I mean, I, I've never owned one, but I've I've known plenty of people that do. And, and, and I'm just like, this dog needs to calm down. Yep. You and I have uh, mutual friends who, who own pugs and love pugs. Right. And uh, I've always thought they were highly neurotic dogs. They're, they're sweet, but they're highly neurotic. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have, I have dogs that sleep a yep. lot. <laughs> yeah that's why i own hounds for that same reason maybe they just take on like our personality you know we're just like you know they see us laying on the couch and they're like that looks nice <laughs> yeah i'm gonna do that i'll give it a shot that that may be it all right so i said we would talk about anubis and and you know the jackal-headed gods and stuff a little bit more so let's get into it but what we're going to look at is we're going to talk about Cynocephaly. Now, what oh, is cynocephaly? That sounds bad. It does. It, it sounds like you got got it. Something's going to fall off. That's right. Um, you better, better see a doctor and yeah. get rid of it. Yeah, don't scratch. It, it'll fall off on its own. Um, now, <laughs> that was always advice my granddad gave me. If I was, you know, I said, hey, I got to ask you something. He'd always go, oh, well, don't scratch it. It'll fall off on its own. I'm like, oh, thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> So that's what I always remember from the movie The Jerk. Yeah. <laughs> See a doctor, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this uh, this comes from the ancient origin site, uh, which I, I love the ancient origin site because they can they can have some oh yeah pretty fascinating stuff in there. If you just want a, a good read, just go to ancient origins and check it out. Well, this says the most basic description of cynocephaly is that it is the image of a human figure that has the head of a dog, or in some instances, a jackal. So, says this is not to be confused with images of werewolves. Werewolves are a creature where the human form transforms into dog-like head and body, which we've talked about right uh, several times, actually. Um, this goes on to say that some believe that werewolves and 
synocephalic creatures are somehow related, but they are more like more likely two separate types of creature that happen to share some dog-like traits. So it's like divergent evolution kind of thing. You know, it, it just evolved in two different creatures. Now, this says the name synocephaly sounds much more like an actual disease than a depiction of an image or a human with a dog head shown in prehistoric drawings or renderings. The name is derived from the Greek language in which sino means dog and cephaly means a disease or condition of the head. So put together, synocephaly is a disease or condition where the head is in the form of a dog. Yeah. So kind of interesting. That, that dude's got a dog head. Yeah. Now, dude looks like a dog. Eh? <laughs> so this goes on to say that images depicting synocephaly date as far back as ancient Egyptian times, like we were talking about before. Ancient Egyptians, uh, gods of Hopi and Anubis were both depicted in the synocephaly form with a human body and a dog head, or in the case of Anubis, it was a jackal. Now, these images were depicted standing or wearing clothing, giving the appearance that in spite of the dog head, these gods are, in essence, humans. Now, it is unknown why these figures are depicted with the head of a dog, but their presence in the Egyptian drawings certainly spread to later cultures that followed. So, Greek physicians, um, Tasius wrote a dog-headed figure called in in Dissi in India in the 5th century B.C. Later, the Greek Megasthenes returned from travels to India with tales of a race of synocephaly living in the mountains of India. This dog-headed race of people would hunt in the mountains while wearing animal skins and would communicate through barking sounds. Such stories of subhuman creatures would likely invoke many emotions, including fear, fascination, intrigue, and terror. So this says that synocephaly continued far beyond ancient Egypt and Greek times, also appearing in some works of medieval literature. Their existence and origin were questioned in City of God, um, book 16, chapter 8, written by Augustine of Hippo. And the Christians had the story of the abominable who had the face of a dog and lived in a city of cannibals. Once baptized, the dog-like features disappeared. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church viewed St. Christopher as having the head of a dog, which may have been the result of a misinterpretation of the word canius to say canius or canine. Uh, later, German bishop and poet Walter of Spire wrote of St. Christopher as a large synocephalic figure, from the Chinese, Man, we <laughs> Adam got all the hard words. Tonight. I did. I did. <laughs> so uh, a cynocephalic figure from the Chananeans that barked and consumed human flesh. Now, when the cynocephalic Christopher met Christ, he chose to be baptized, at which point he shed his dog-like appearance and began a life devoted to God. This idea that the figure with a dog-like appearance would become fully human upon being baptized and accepting God is a story that repeats, illustrating that to the Christians, the dog-like appearance was a negative feature, a punishment of sorts that could be eliminated by choosing to follow a certain set of religious beliefs. Now, the Noel Codex 
which is the script that contains the story of Beowulf, also contained references to the Cynocephalic with with portions referring to... Okay, here we go. Hilfhundingus, or half-dogs. There you go. Um, The idea spread into Anglo-Saxon England, where outlaws were referred to as Wolfes Hedfod, um, Wolf's Head, again giving the impression that the image of a human body with a dog's head is an inherently negative trait, meant to refer to an outcast of society. Even the tales of King Arthur refer to Cynocephaly as King Arthur's men fight hundreds of Cynophallic creatures, and the stories morph into tales including werewolves. So I included all that because I thought it was interesting how we go from we've got gods and deities that are dog-headed all the way to we get into the, you know, Roman Orthodox belief and and even into Beowulf and stuff like that, where now that's a negative trait. So I think it's interesting how that legend morphed over time, but I also think it's interesting how throughout society, all cultures had some form of a cynocephalic creature. You know, it's not right. just a, a one-time thing, and they're like, oh, the the older cultures believe this. Like, this is a thing that, that's gone through so many cultures through hundreds of thousands of years. Right. It, it's, it's really amazing how much the dog has infiltrated not just culture, but religion mm-hmm. and, and just day-to-day life for a lot of these ancient civilizations. I mean, and, and we don't really touch on it tonight, but even when you consider, uh, you know, the uh, Asian, ancient Asian history, you know, you see those images of, of food dogs mm-hmm. as guardians and protectors, um, you know, and it, you know, that dates back centuries. Yeah. So they've, they've always had a spot in folklore and legend and like we said, re- religious culture. So when, when Adam and I decided to hit on this, you know, we, we really didn't know what we were getting into. I mean, you know, we, we learned quite a bit about, you know, how dogs have, have played a part in history, you know, for, like I said, centuries. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh. Now, as you guys know, we we have also worked with every plate in the past, and every plate and HelloFresh actually are owned by the same company. And it makes it really cool to be able to do HelloFresh and every plate because the menus are different and you get to change it up and stuff. So we're really looking forward to, you know, doing HelloFresh again here for a little while and and changing it up some. But what is HelloFresh? Well, you can get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and it lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Now, HelloFresh offers convenient, no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family, and the recipes are easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way, which helps out a lot. You got pictures to see what you're doing, 
that that makes it a lot easier. And HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes. And that helps too. Why do you want to go to the store when you don't have to? You can have it delivered to you, recipes there, ingredients there. You just put it together and go. It's great. Yeah, and it's so easy and so fun to be able to cook these fresh ingredients and make a delicious meal. And it takes all the stress and worry out of going and and finding difficult to find ingredients, you know, poking around the store, taking all that time. It eliminates all of that. And my family has actually done Thanksgiving dinner from HelloFresh. And just the other day, my son Brooks looks at me and he says, when are we going to do HelloFresh again? When's our next one coming? <laughs> I, I really said, that was great. I loved it. And it is wonderful because it's so easy. Kids can help. You get these great oh, yeah. you get these great cards with step-by-step instructions. All of your ingredients are measured out. You know, so it's really easy for you to have your have your children involved. And look, you know, it's hard enough to get kids to eat these days. You know, it's, if I have to if I have to fix any more chicken nuggets, I'm going to go insane. <laughs> and you're giving them great, delicious meals that they can help prepare. Oh yeah. So for Graveyard Tales listeners, go to hellofresh.com/graveyard90 and use the code graveyard90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-9-0 to get $90 off and free shipping. That's amazing, isn't it? Like Matt said, go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard90 and use the code Graveyard90. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-9-0 and you can get $90 off including free shipping. And and as Adam mentioned, you know, England has more than its fair share of dog legends and and oh, more yeah. specifically black dog legends. And and this is different from the hellhounds as that these, you know, hellhounds were always considered to be, you know, demonic entities. Right. Or or at least they were attached to to demons or Satan or hell uh, in some fashion and that they were controlled thusly. You know, there was always an evil connotation with hellhounds. Now, with mm-hmm. with the black dog legend legends, there are still evil connotations, but not always. Right. And and just. Just to kind of give you an idea of how far back these legends date, um, Dr. Simon Sherwood suggests that the earliest surviving description of of the devilish black hound is an account of an incident in the Peter Peterborough Abbey recorded in the Peterborough Chronicle all the way back in 1127. I mean, so, you know, this is not something that is new and it's certainly not modern by mm-hmm. any stretch but there were reports from several men seeing huntsmen in the woods and the huntsmen were black huge and hideous by the description and they rode on black horses and on black goats which i thought was interesting wow, um, that is weird and, and their hounds were jet black 
and they had eyes like saucers and were described as being just horrible. They were seen in the woods stretching from Peterborough to Stamford. During the night, the monks said they could hear their horn sound. And the witnesses reported as many as 20 or 30, and they were seen and heard all the way from Lent up until Easter. So that that would freak me out because I'm picturing shadow figures, like these all black shadow figures like we've talked be- talked about before, you know, darker than the shadow kind of thing. Right. Riding horses with hellhounds, basically, big black dogs running beside them through the woods. That would terrify the crap out of oh, you if yeah. you were in the woods and saw that. Yeah. You got mounted shadow figures. Yeah, and again, we're we're talking about something that was written in 1127. It was not written in a publication that would have been considered fiction. This right. was presented as news. This is, you know, factual uh, evidence of this mm-hmm. happening. I mean, it's a news story. And, you know, whether it really happened or not, you know, it was presented in that form. So, you know, we're, we're not really sure, you know, what exactly was going on. But, you know, for what, 40 days, you know, people were terrified yeah. of these of these black huntsmen's 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 yeah, the huntsmen's is <laughs> these black huntsmen and their black hounds right but possibly the most well-known legend is that of black shuck which we did discuss in episode 74 mm-hmm. now just to briefly surmise this story on august 4th 1577 at blytheburg black shuck is said to have burst through the doors of holy trinity church with a clap of thunder and he ran up past the large congregation. You had all the hard words. I've got easy <laughs> words, and I can't talk. Um, past the a large congregation, killing a man and a boy, and causing the church steeple to collapse through the roof. Now, as the dog left, he left scorch marks on the north door, which can seen be seen at the church to this day. And so that that was a story. We we go into a little more detail. Uh, on the on the black on the black shuck story in the hellhounds episode but it is it is a legend that has endured for centuries right and you know they describe black shuck in, in from that of being a large dog to being the size of a calf or a horse and and here's that's a, a big this, dog this is something we didn't include in the hellhound episode and i thought it was really interesting this is this was taken um, from uh, a publication by W.A. Dutt, uh, and it was came out in 1901 called Highways and Byways in East Anglia. And this is a description of Black Shuck. It says, he takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths, where, although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold, his footfalls make no sound. You may know him at once should you see him by his fiery eye. He has but one, and that, like the Cyclops, is in the middle of his head. But such an encounter might bring you the worst of luck. It is even said to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year. So you would do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling. 
Shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear. Should you never set eyes on our Norfolk snarly owl, you may perhaps doubt his existence and, like other learned folks, tell us that his story is nothing but the old Scandinavian myth of the Black Hound of Odin brought to us by the Vikings long ago. So that's, I mean, that's really, a, a, you know, a great, great legend. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and like I said, it has endured for centuries, you know, even with this publication that came out in 1901, um, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those really, really deep held beliefs that this dog existed at some point and yep. you didn't want to come across it. And it's still, you still hear people talking about it today. Like, you know, people still bring it up in, in conversation and stuff as if it's still roaming the woods at some points. That's right. That's right. Now, we briefly mentioned in the Hellhounds episode that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's novel, The Hound of the Baskervilles, is a black tail, is a black dog tail all of its own. But what we didn't mention was the inspiration. Now, it's been speculated that one Squire Richard Cable was the real person behind the novel's character, Hugo Baskerville. Now, as the story goes, Cable was said to have been a huntsman who sold his soul to the devil. When he died in 1677, black hounds were said to have appeared around his burial chamber. Now, the ghostly huntsman is said to ride with black dogs who breathed fire. And it was written about him that he died with such an evil reputation that he was placed under a heavy stone and a sort of penthouse was built over that with iron gratings to prevent his coming up and haunting the neighborhood. Wow. You know, so once again, we're, we're seeing a, a, a black dog legend where they were depicted, you know, as being evil. And in this case, you know, they were the, the evil hunting hounds of a very evil man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, here's another one that we, we're going to go into uh, into the fae realm again. This this was something that I came across when we were doing uh, fae research, but I couldn't tie it directly. Um, but it is it is a legendary dog from Wales. Um and and it is paired up because it's it's a Celtic, um, it, it it's a Celtic legend, and so many of the other, uh, many many of the other creatures that we uh, described in our Fey episode that would possibly be harmful to humans that were affiliated right. with the Fey, like the Dulahan, yeah, and uh, the uh, Kelpies, you know, this one goes right along with it. And it is called the Gwishki. Now, like I said, the Gwishki is a mythical dog from Wales that appears as a frightful apparition of a mastiff or black wolf, similar to a dire wolf. And it's said to have horrible breath and blazing red eyes. And it's often referred to as the dog of darkness or the black hound of destiny. And it that sounds like something from a video game. The, yeah, it does. You must find the black hound of destiny. Yep. <laughs> now it will appear to individuals after dark, and the apparition's favorite haunts are are lonely dark roads. And if seen on one of these strolls, it is said to be an omen of a terrible death. 
There have been many sightings of this beast in north in the northeast of Wales and as far away as Wrexham Village. Now, the Gwiski was first mentioned in a rare book called The Vale of Glamorgan in 1839. The beasts were thought to have the power to paralyze those that looked into their eyes. Although fear might be a good explanation for that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that paralyzed with fear thing. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm witnessing this gigantic ghost hound. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. <laughs> did it, did it paralyze you? Well, in a roundabout way. Yeah. Everything, but, but my colon. <laughs> yeah, right. Everything froze. I wish my bowels had. Now, now stories throughout Northeast Wales do not suggest that these huge mastiffs appeared due to any deliberate wrongdoing on the part of the unfortunate witness. Coming across a whiskey was really just an unlucky occurrence for the traveler. So, I mean, you, you had enough reasons around this time to not travel a lonely road at night. Yeah. I mean, there, there were plenty of... Uh, of pitfalls that, that you could come across bandits regular wolves yeah you know but now you got to worry about this this ghost hound you know showing up as well i just would like stay home you know? yeah i mean there's no reason to travel at night yeah nothing absolutely. good happens at night <laughs> yep but as adam said earlier not all mythical dogs are evil in fact some actually serve as protectors Now, there is a tale from the Isle of Man of a guardian black dog that prevented the deaths of several men. A fishing boat was waiting in Peel Harbor for its skipper to command the crew on a night's fishing trip. They waited all night, but the skipper never came. Now, in the early morning, a sudden storm sprang up in which the boat most likely would have been lost. When the skipper rejoined his crew, he told them that his way had been blocked by a great black dog, and whichever way he turned, it always stood before him until he finally turned back. And I mean, I, I, that is obviously a, a legend. I mean, you know, there's, there's no names affiliated with it or anything else. But again, it's an indicator of how the dog was so present in, in, in history and folklore. Um, and it's the start of that old legend that you always travel with a ham hock in your pocket <laughs> so that you can distract the dog. You don't, I you always, don't travel with I a, always have one. That's why I see? always have, have a greasy spot on the side of yeah. my pants. Yeah, I mean, if I'm traveling, if I come up there to Tennessee or whatever, I'm always traveling with a ham hock. You don't leave home without it, just in case you run into <laughs> one of these dogs. And no, I don't put it in a Ziploc bag, which would make a lot more sense. But no, it, just, it takes too long to get out. I yeah, mean, if you got to, you know, by the time you open up the Ziploc bag and everything, you're the dog's already on you. So yeah, Matt, yeah. see, I'm from Texas. I have a ham hock holster. It's an outside the waistband ham hock holster. So <laughs> quick, quick draw. draw. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I have been places where I've thought, oh, I need to grab a couple of dog treats yeah. because, you know, I know, you know, even if I wasn't, I wasn't going to be attacked, you know, like viciously, I was going to be, you know, uh, attacked with big dog smooches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did. I actually, I actually, uh, 
you know, went to a lady's house who had a German shepherd that I swear if this dog had stood up on his hind legs, he would have put his paws on my shoulders and could have looked over my head. Mm-hmm. This dog was enormous, by far the biggest, maybe not the biggest, but definitely in the top three dogs yeah. I have ever seen personally. I've I've seen one of those Irish wolfhounds. Oh yeah, in, I love those dogs too. And you know, it's that's where you get the old joke. You know, I walked up to the guy and I was like, "Hey, nice horse." Had a bitch hadn't heard that one in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love I love big dogs. Like oh, yeah. uh, Irish wolfhounds are some of my favorite. Uh, Great Danes are some of my favorite, and they. Uh, Big dogs just seem to be so so nice. You get the little yappy dogs, and they yeah, they're meaner than the big dogs. And you know, I almost I almost had Amanda convinced to get a Great Dane before we got the bulldogs, but she had yeah. she had always wanted a bulldog. She had her heart set on it, and so and I I love I love all dogs. So you know. I've been trying to talk Ashley into Great Dane for a long time, and and haven't done it yet. Maybe maybe one day I'll wear her down. You know, I've always thought having a Great Dane, you know, Amanda would walk outside and be like, did Matt poop in the yard? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) This is this is enormous. (laughs) Well, that's why you have them in case you have an accident. You can just blame it on the dog. Blame it on the dog. (laughs) Yeah. Who pooped the bed? Oh, it was uh, Rover. It wasn't me. Oh, but listen, well, let's get back on track. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we we need to. We could do this all night. (laughs) Um. But let's let's jump across the pond to the Americas and 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 hear some black dog legends or just dog legends from from this side of the world. Now, when you think of Latin America, at least I don't necessarily think of dogs. Um, I don't know why, but but I don't. But they're pretty prevalent in in Latin American culture. And there is a Latin American tale called the ca- the Cadejo. Now, the Cadejo is an enormous, fiery-eyed, and hoofed black dog that follows late-night drinkers and revelers until they are home. Now, in some variations of the Cadejo legend, a white dog protects the human from the devilish black Cadejo. Hmm. They usually appear in the form of a large, sometimes as big as a cow, shaggy dog with burning red eyes and goat's hooves. Although in some areas, the description is more like uh, bull characteristics. Hmm. But according to the stories, many have tried to kill the black Cadejo, but have failed and died. It's also said that if Cadejo is killed, it will smell terrible for several days and then its body will disappear. Now, when the Cadejo is near, it's said to bring about a strong goat-like smell. And if you've ever smelled goats, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Now, most people say never turn your back to the creature because otherwise you will go crazy. And speaking to the Cadejo will also induce insanity. So just stare at it and don't say words. Just stare at it. Now, the legends vary from country to country, but most include a version of an evil Cadejo and a benevolent one. 
Now, sometimes the black and white colors are switched with the black Cadejo actually being the protector. In Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, the dog-like creature is known as El Cadejo and is said to look like a dog, but it's not a dog. It has deer-like hooves and also moves like a deer rather than a dog. The hoof part is what gets me. Yeah, it's but very it's strange. Odd. And, and, you know, looking, I, I looked up pictures of this. It, it is it is kind of an odd-looking creature. You, you don't, other than the head, you don't immediately think dog, especially when you yeah. see the hoofs. But the white Cadejos are known to be benevolent and eat bell-like flowers that only grow on volcanoes. How much more specific can we get? Right. Um, but the white Cadejo protects people, including drunks, vagabonds, and people with grudges. And it protects people from the bad choices, which are sometimes caused by the evil black Cadejo. So it was the, the legend says that the black Cadejo can influence a human's decisions. And it tends to, to be the angel or the devil sitting on the other shoulder going, yeah. you know. Oh, what a cute baby. Throw it. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of what it seems like to me. It's the good and the bad, the yin and the yang. Yeah, kind of thing. exactly. Exactly. Um, now, the black Cadejo has glowing purple eyes and eats newborn babies. And sometimes the black Cadejo is said to be the devil himself that eats newborn babies. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like. Oh, man, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Once again, a very specific diet. A very, very specific diet. Now, the black Cadejo is said to be able to stand on two feet like a man and swiftly throw punches on its victims, letting them, letting them know that they're not dealing with an ordinary dog. So now it's more like yeah. a kangaroo. Yeah, with hooves. <laughs> with hooves. You know, ever been punched in the face with a hoof? Yeah. <laughs> you imagine some... Some some drunk guy, you know, stumbling out of the out of the tavern, you know, and he's standing there, and his dog comes up, rears up, and he's like, "Put up your dukes, old man." Yeah, you know, it almost does sound like a story a drunk told. It does, you know, it does. You know, I fought this. I fought this hoofed dog. It stood up on its back legs, and it quickly punched me in the face. <laughs> like I couldn't even get a, a lick in. It got me. <laughs> yeah. Now another popular version. Of this legend in El Salvador talks about two brothers who walk into the house of a black magician. Now, during a storm, he asked the boys to help him with some logs for a fire. Now, both boys slack on the job, but they eat the man's food. Once he finds out that the little bit of food he had is missing and that there's not enough wood for his fire, he puts a curse on the road that leads to the boy's village. Now, voices bother the boys, and when they turn their backs on the voices, they get turned into creatures, a white Cadejo and a black one. Now, after going back to their village in their cursed form, they get kicked out and have no choice but to wander. So, so there's your origin story on, on yeah. how the black and white Cadejo came into existence. But these legends aren't li aren't limited to Latin America. The United States has its own black dog legends. And there is a legend of a small black dog that has persisted in Meriden, Connecticut. I hope I'm saying that like Meriden or Meriden. 
Probably Meriden. Uh, if you're from Connecticut, let us know. Yeah, um, Meriden, Connecticut, and and this one dates back to the 19th century. The dog is said to haunt the Hanging Hills, which is a series of rock ridges and gorges that serve as a popular rec- popular recreation area. Now, the first non-local account of this black dog came from W.H.C. Pichon in the Connecticut Quarterly, which is in which it is described as being a death omen. It is said that if you meet the black dog once, it shall be for joy. If twice, it shall be for sorrow. And the third time shall bring death. So, you know, this one's not all bad if you only see it once. Right. <laughs> you right. Know? I'm like, Hopefully you oh, only well, see it one time. I saw the dog once. It's going to be a good day. I ain't going yeah. back to that place, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the last time I can go there. Yeah, can you imagine? Oh, man, we can't ever come back here. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even seen everything yet. <laughs> Show up. There's a dog. Like, man. Ah, crap. Time to go home. Yeah. We just got here. I know, but we saw the little black dog. So, so we're we going to go again, home and win trouble. the lottery and move somewhere else so we don't run yep, into exactly. it again. <laughs> exactly. But there's a New England black dog tale that comes from southeastern Massachusetts in an area known by some as the Bridgewater Triangle. Hmm. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yeah, does sound familiar. Have we talked about that? Of course we have. <laughs> now, in the mid-1970s, the town of Abington was reportedly terrorized by a large black dog that caused a panic. A local fireman saw it attacking horses. Local police unsuccessfully searched for it, and at first, they never even saw it. But eventually, a police officer sighted the dog walking along train tracks and shot at it. And apparently, the bullets had no effect on the animal, and it walked off never to be seen again. So at least it had that effect. It went away, but it certainly didn't kill it. When you said he sighted the dog, I thought you were going to say gave him a ticket. (laughs) He sighted him for jaywalking. And I'm like, what? C-I-T-E-D, the dog. (laughs) (laughs) How? how, You expect him to show up in court or something? I don't understand. tell him, hey, we've got leash laws in this town. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You need to put yourself on a leash, mister. I didn't see a collar saying you'd gotten your rabies shot either. <laughs> now, this this last section I thought was really cool, and um, it, it led me to start digging a little bit further. When when Jeff put this in, in some of his research notes, uh, it made me go, huh, never heard yeah. this, but I'm going to look into it. I like it. this. I like this. this is, these are black dog legends from truckers. So I mean I don't. I know we've got a lot of truckers that listen to us. I, so I know, I know. If you've heard this, well, I want to know. Yeah, I'd love to hear that because you know truckers have some great stories, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of really good haunted stories that truckers tell about oh, you know, yeah. things they see out on the road at night, and if you see this, it's bad luck and those kind of things. Well, this kind of goes right along with it. So some of the most common tales of black dogs in the U.S. come from truckers, and they're often dismissed as urban legends. But most truckers are familiar with the legend of the black dog. Now, the black dog supposedly comes when a trucker has been driving too long and starts to fall asleep at the wheel. Now, he or she will see the ghoul running towards the truck just before the crash. The apparition causes the driver to steer off the road or into traffic, uh, 
and results in an accident that kills the truck driver or an innocent person. So I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So I started looking a little bit further and I found this. Now, there is a stretch of highway in the U.S., which is the sixth branch of U.S. Route 66. Yep, that's right. It is Highway 666. Yep. (laughs) Now, because of the evil connotation, it's actually been renamed U.S. Route 491. So because of the evil connotation, this road has been renamed U.S. Route 491. Now, the road is almost 200 miles long, and it runs through Colorado, New Mexico, and ends in Utah, and it is related to many unexplained accidents and apparition phenomena. Now, I I promise you, if you go look up this, there are some crazy stories from this road, but this is only one of them. So if this interests you at all, go look up this uh, Highway 666. There are a lot of of crazy Mm -hmm. paranormal stories that have happened along this road. But there have been reports along this particular road that a pack of demon dogs with yellow eyes and sharp teeth that are able to run as fast as a vehicle, causing damage to the vehicle, such as shredding the rubber tires or crashing through the windows of speeding vehicles to tear the passengers to pieces. And some say that the black dogs are joined by Lucifer himself. But one of the problems with this black dog folklore is that it's it's very opposite you know one school of thought believes that the spectral black dog is a death omen and it could mean there's an accident up the road that will kill someone or someone close to the person seeing the dog is very ill or going to be ill soon now usually but not always the black dog has glowing red eyes and is about the size of a small pony And sometimes the dog isn't necessarily black. But another school of thought believes that the spectral black dog is a guardian, especially of women and children. So if a man who is not at home at night sees the black dog, it is an assurance that his family is at home safe. Now, if it's a woman or child that sees the dog, it is an assurance of a safe passage home. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's still kind of all over the map. There's there's no yeah. real specific thing that says this is it, you know, and it's bad or, you know, it's, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's a black dog. Maybe it's a white dog. Maybe it's just a dog. Maybe it's not even a dog. It's just yeah, something. Could be good. Could be bad. Who knows? Yeah, but, I mean, it, you know, the legends do exist, and I, th- I thought it was really great that, you know, this this was affiliated with truckers seeing these things oh, out yeah. on the highway. Now, interestingly enough, most of the folklore from the black dog um, is is comes from England thousands of years ago. But the lore of the black dog in America <laughs> is really closely tied to the 1998 movie Black Dog starring Patrick Swayze. <laughs> So, so it's Swayze's <laughs> fault, huh? So, you know, if you're in England, you have these these cool stories and folklore that come from, you know, monks and priests and these great writers and orators in the United States. Ours comes from a Patrick Swayze movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Patrick Swayze's fault. 
which I thought, man, that is so funny. That Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> okay, so to wrap up tonight, we're going to share a story that uh, that our research assistant, Jeff, gave us. And this is a personal story from him. Now, Jeff says, this is a story of the black dog that my uncle, who was a preacher before he died, told me. He said he remembers when he was a teen himself and his family lived in a mining town. So that was pretty common then. And one night he remembers that it was pretty late and being woken from a dead sleep, hearing a man screaming for help at the top of his lungs. Now, he said a black dog was chasing him. And the problem is, is that no one heard or saw the black dog. Jeff says, my uncle looked at his mom and said, well, it looks like Lucifer has let his dogs loose to hunt evil souls tonight. And the morning, the man's tracks were found, but not the man. That's wild. Yeah. So that's, I mean, thanks, Jeff, for, for sharing that with us. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, again, I mean, that's that's one of those that's one of those stories. And, you know, this one, you know, passed down from a family member of, mm-hmm. of, of some incident that happened one night where, you know, you could, you know, you heard this guy saying help that he was being chased by a black dog. And then the next day, you know, nobody nobody saw it, but they saw the man's tracks. Yeah. So that you know that's yep. that's really cool, but it just it, it I think it's a good way to wrap up our discussion tonight on all these all these dog omens and folklore and legends. Um, and and I I do I think we touched on a lot of things that went well beyond what our hellhound research did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So if you if you listen to our hellhounds episode and you listen to this one, then you should be pretty well versed on dog omens and legends, and you know let us know what you guys think about it do you you know do you think there's any validity to any of these legends that cultures have had um do you have any dog legends or omens that you know of that we didn't touch on send those to us and you know you can email us or leave us a message on our voicemail or text that number or whatever just uh, get in touch with us and let us know yeah and if you've got one of these dogs with white or yellow uh spots right above their eyes i'd love to see a picture of that <laughs> yep we, we might need to borrow it too yeah send me your pictures of your you know evil evil casting out dog <laughs> right or your corgis that have the uh face saddles on the back oh uh, yeah and hey you know what the best place to do that is in our facebook group so you know you can search for us just search graveyard tales You'll, you'll find our Facebook page, and from there, you can get to our Facebook group. We have a ton of amazing listeners that are in that group, and, I mean, every single day, we're getting some great stories shared. We're getting some funny jokes shared, but it's a great, safe place to, to, to share your own personal experiences. Um, and while you're pecking around on social media, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter, and while you're doing that, you can swing over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find uh, links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show, find out a little bit more about Adam and myself, and you can become a patron. And thank you to everyone who has donated to the show. Uh, it really allows us to keep this thing going. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think for our, our mythical omen-loving dog episode... Uh, all we got so 
Yep. Until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Now, you know what I just realized? And you might have to cut this. I have I have said route and root in the same paragraph. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I love it.